welcome to Episode 1 of The F1 Show for the 2007 Malaysian Grand Prix. I'm Robin Warner. And I'm Jim Lau. We're the crew that brought you the Formula1Etc.com race news podcast, and now we've switched gears, gone to audio only, and have a new show, The F1 Show. Visit us online at F1Show.com, and if you have any questions you want to send feedback, email us at feedback at F1Show.com. If you missed the Malaysian Grand Prix, Fernando Alonso cruised to victory with his McLaren teammate, rookie Lewis Hamilton, behind him in second. Kimi Raikkonen started and finished in third in his Ferrari, with Nick Heidfeld's BMW Sauber close behind in fourth. Pole sitter Felipe Massa finished fifth after making an amateur mistake while attempting to pass Hamilton in the opening laps of the race. Giancarlo Fisichella finished sixth for Renault, John O'Trulli collected two points for Toyota, finishing seventh, and rookie Heike Kovalainen brought the second Renault home in eighth. So anyway, it was a great race at the beginning, kind of simmered down and cooled off uh, later, but Jim, what did you think? For me, two words, Lewis Hamilton. He finished the first race in Australia in third place, he finished second here in Malaysia, and it's just, you know, he said he wants to go on to win, and I don't see any reason he can't. He's just been an amazing performance at the start of his career, has really just overshadowed all these other rookies that we've seen, Nico Rosberg, Heike Kovalainen, and, I mean, he's just really been amazing, and I think we're just going to see amazing things out of him. Yeah, it's, it's interesting you say that, you know, pre-race discussions, you heard a lot about Hamilton, but you heard just as much about Kovalainen, and now Hamilton has completely taken over as the rookie sensation. He did a phenomenal job in the opening laps. He drove like an absolute professional, kept his nose clean, kept control of his car through the entire time despite huge amounts of pressure, um, pressure from Massa. And, you know, as a result, the thing that stood out for me was that Massa actually drove fairly amateurish. He kind of drove like a rookie to me, made lots of mistakes. Every time he attempted to make a pass on Hamilton, he was passed right back, and he ended up running himself right off the road. I love exactly what, what Lewis Hamilton did. I mean, his, his cool-headedness in dealing with Massa, I think, is what really threw Massa off guard. I mean, if I'm Felipe Massa, I've been an F1 a couple years. I'm a Ferrari driver, and I'm coming up on this rookie guy. It's his second Grand Prix ever. And I, I, I bet I can get around him and just well, try and... Well, and Massa did have the faster car. Yeah, and, and that Lewis Hamilton was able to hold on is just really impressive to me, you know, acting like a professional. And to me, he's the new Iceman. I mean, keeping cool in that kind of situation, I think, is fantastic. And also, to credit his success, I mean, I think he's in the right place at the right time, dealing with the, the McLaren now that it's good and reliable, having Fernando Alonso as your teammate. I mean, he's two-time world champion and, and moved into this really good car, a really good team at just the right time. I mean, it's really just the sweet spot, and that's where I think we see these, these really big <coughs> F1 successes is when you get everything right all at the same time. And, you know, great for Lewis Hamilton to make the most of that situation and just come out looking amazing. And I, I really think he'll be able to win his first Grand Prix this year in his rookie season. Well, I agree, although, you know, the thing that stands out for me almost more than is how well Hamilton drove, and I think the key to Hamilton's drive is that he didn't overdrive the car. I mean, he kept the car within the limits of its own capability, and meantime, Massa kept trying to overshoot the corners. He broke way too late. He wasn't following the proper line. And to me, he took two steps back in my book in terms of overall driver driver performance and capability. I mean, these were pretty amateur mistakes. Now, you saw once Massa fell off the road and fell behind a couple places, Kimi Raikkonen was right behind Hamilton. Raikkonen had a level enough head to say, I don't have enough car to pass Hamilton. I'm just going to stay behind him and make the most of the situation. And I think that just shows a different level of driver between Massa and Raikkonen. Yeah, I've not, I've not been, ever really been a big Massa fan. Um, I mean, he was really overshadowed <laughs> by Michael Schumacher in his last season at Ferrari and just sort of came in as a second guy. 
and uh, back in his days at Sauber and so on. It was never really, uh, never really rooted for him. He did seem to make a lot of sort of these hot-headed mistakes and so on. And and it's unfortunate to see that he's still doing that, you know, and that, that Lewis Hamilton was able to get the better of him and sort of, you know, outwit him at this at this race in Malaysia here. But uh, you know, I, I it doesn't make me that sad to see him do poorly. Honestly, I, you know, I'm much more of a Kimi Raikkonen fan. I'm glad to see that once he got behind him. You know, he didn't he didn't do anything stupid. He didn't throw the car off the road and uh, and actually, you know, did really well with it, even though his engine wasn't running quite at full song. Now, I have to disagree with you, actually, because Massa, while I agree with you, I, I am also a Raikkonen fan. Massa, I think, has made huge gains. And I think the second half of last season, a lot of people compared him favorably against Rubens Barrichello as a better Ferrari teammate to Michael Schumacher. He won a race. He was on pole. He, you know, he won his home race in Brazil. That was huge. And he seemed to really gain a level head and gain a lot of respect of the Ferrari drivers. So what happened and here this, in Malaysia? Well, in this race, he was pole. He was pole position in this race. He had the wits about him to stay under control. No one was looking at him. They were looking at Alonso and Raikkonen. And he went and he captured pole. But then it all fell apart when the McLarens got a better launch at the start of the race. And he just seemed to lose his nerves. After a couple of laps behind Hamilton... It seemed to completely unravel for him. He just got excited, he got emotional, and he just started making what I would say are stupid mistakes. So we'll see if this ends up becoming a trend or if this is just a one-time lapse. He just let uh, his emotions get the better of him. But I think Moss made a lot of gains last year. It'll be interesting to see if he holds on to them. Certainly it will. What's, so what, what did happen with Kimi Raikkonen's engine? I mean, I know there, were, there was rumors about them having to switch it out and having hydraulic problems or having uh, cooling issues, I guess. Or what, what went on with that? Well, that was kind of the big story leading into this race. I mean, after all, Raikkonen won in dominant fashion in the Australian Grand Prix, had the pole, had the fastest lap, won with several seconds behind, ahead of second place. No question he was the uh, dominant figure in that first race. However, in the last pit stop of that race, his engine developed a small water leak and started running hot. Now, current F1 rules uh, mandate you use the uh, same engine for two full race weekends. So he had to use that same engine that was running hot for the second Malaysian race. And the Malaysian race is known as one of the hottest, hottest races on the calendar. Yeah. So they made the decision to stick with that old engine. They could have replaced the engine and taken a 10-spot uh, grid penalty at the beginning of the race. They decided to stay with it. Well, what that meant was he kind of had to nurse the car a little bit. He couldn't use the full potential of that engine. My guess is that the Ferrari engineers told him to back off the revs, and he didn't have full power throughout the race. So he, he was dealing with a wounded car. And that's a bit of a shame because I think McLaren stepped up to the plate for the second race, but I think Raikkonen could have posed a much bigger threat had he had a healthy engine. So I guess we'll have to see what happens next week in Bahrain when hopefully Kimi Raikkonen's Ferrari with a brand new engine. It's going to be another hot race, but it should be back up to speed and, and, and full power for the, for the Ferrari. So it should be a, a good standoff between the McLarens and the Ferraris. Both of them, will, all, all the four cars will have fresh engines in Bahrain. Absolutely. And I think, again, you, Massa was the quicker car in the earlier stages of this first race compared to Raikkonen. And it'll be interesting to see if that gap goes away again, when Raikkonen has a fresh engine. I think he had to back off on the revs a little bit at the beginning, and definitely as the race progressed, they were um, having him be careful. So we'll see. Personally, I think Raikkonen did about a good of, as good of a job as he could have done in the circumstance he was in. You know, it's so much easier to start ahead someone and stay ahead than it is to actually pass in any track, even though Malaysia is one of the easier places to pass. So I think he consolidated his efforts as best he could. 
got a third place out of it. He's now behind in the championship, but certainly by no means out of it. Doing all right. Now that is a slightly different circumstance than Honda, who going into this had going into this season had a lot more promise than these first two races are showing. Yeah, speaking of behind in the championship, and, uh, and last week or three weeks ago in Australia, we found the Super Aguris actually out-qualifying, and those are the, the secondary Honda-powered team, um, out-qualifying the factory Honda teams, which should be using a, a car with a, another extra year of development on it and countless millions poured into its, its work. And, uh, and the car was, ended up being slower than last year's car, which is what the Super Aguris are running. Um, for this uh, for this race in Malaysia, Jensen qualified 15th, Rubens 19th. 19th, know. first and, round. And uh, in comparison to the uh, the Super Aguris, Takuma Sato qualified 14th and Anthony Davison 18th. So they the, the Super Aguris, the, the you know last year's car, the lower budget team, split the pair of factory Hondas. And as far as race finish, Jensen was able to claw his way up to 12th spot, um, and uh, Rubens was in 11th, I believe. And, uh, and then, you know, but uh, Takuma Sato was right behind there in 13th spot, Anthony Davidson in 16th spot. So the Hondas really are only a couple of tenths faster than, than the Super Aguri, than last year's car. I mean, they really just seem to be struggling, and, and they say a general lack of grip. Jensen Button had to publicly go out in the media to say, hey, don't start firing people about this. Well, he also you know, said the car was crap. He also said the car was crap, but then didn't want, didn't want his, you know, the team guys to get fired and so on. I mean, they, they've got to do some, some serious restructuring at Honda, or they've got to... I mean, I guess getting rid of David Richards may have been an issue with that, and just having that guy sort of figureheading the team, making those cunning decisions to really, really make a lot of progress at the team. But uh, they've they've got to do something because their current package, their current program, really just doesn't seem to be working. Twelve months ago, Super Aguri was the perennial backmarker. I mean, especially in the hands of UJ Day, they, they like, were 10, 12 seconds behind. They out Minardi. The Minardi. Exactly. They were terrible. So now Super Aguri comes in. They get help from Honda, they get Honda's old car, they get Honda engines. But here's the difference. They have two very, very hungry drivers in Takuma Sato and Anthony Davison. Now compare that to what I would consider rather complacent drivers in Jensen Button and especially Rubens Barrichello. I agree with you on Rubens Barrichello. I wouldn't go so far as to call Jensen Button hungry, certainly not in the same way. I mean, Anthony Davidson, I have a lot of respect for him. He's always done really, really good times in testing and just been a really reliable driver, and I think he's really sort of still on the way up with his career. I think I think he's going to – I mean, he's been in F1 for a while, but, you know, he's a really solid driver, and if, and if he can do this with the Super Aguri car, I'd love to see what he could do with – you know, a much faster car. I mean, not that he would be able to get into one of the top teams necessarily just yet, but I think he's a really good driver, and, and I, I like, you know, like what he's done so far. But and Sato, Takuma Sato, can you match Sato for hunger? Just, just pure random moves, just, just you know, off the wall, never, never gonna work. Never say die, never yeah. give up. I mean, some of his work at Monaco in 2005, you know, just, just some of these amazing passes that everyone else, there were a lot of the other drivers thought were even too, too risky, too much of a no, no chance in hell, but. He would he would do it. He would go for it, and and I got to admire that kind of spirit in an F1 driver, and uh, just really go out there and try anything. And a lot of times made it work. So they're both good drivers, and uh, you know they're they're right behind the, the factory Honda guys, and in some cases ahead of the factory Honda guys. So it'll be really interesting to see how that pans out. If Honda has some tricks up their sleeve or some development that's been done, but I haven't heard of anything that sounds like there's a new anything new right around the corner. That's that's usually the tagline you get from any of these teams. It's oh we were slow this weekend. But watch out for next weekend because we're gonna, you know, we've got a new aero package or new engine upgrade or anything like that. And I don't know that Honda's got anything quite like that. So they've really got a bunch of work to do. It seems like to get back up to speed. Well, Honda's running out of excuses, and like you say, I think one of their biggest problems is getting rid of someone as creative and smart as David Richards. I think that was a bad move back a couple years back in the bar Honda days. 
David Richards brought that team to second in the championship. He outmaneuvered Flavio Briatore. That was a fun little uh, match of personalities to see those two kind of fight for second against each other. And I honestly think that they're just lacking that type of resource. Jensen Button was real adamant in saying that personnel-wise, they have the resources to be a top team. But you know what? They've had enough time to show that, in my opinion, and they haven't done that. Jensen Button, I think, is a very solid driver, but I just feel like there's a slight bit of uh, Jacques Villeneuve coming in, where he's been with a team that's kind of mid-pack for a few years now, and he's starting to get complacent, and he had so much reputation going into that team, I don't know if he's really ever going to be able to deliver. So it will be interesting to see. Now, Toyota, on the other hand, they're starting to make some progress, but again, here we are. I mean, this is their sixth season. They're still mid-pack. They're kind of in the front of the mid-pack, but far from impressive in my opinion. They've been a little bit better this year than the end of last year, but if you remember the beginning of 2006, they showed some promise. Ralph Schumacher was actually second place in Malaysia in 2006. They really looked like this might be the final of the year for Toyota, and... I mean, they, they were uh, – you know, your Ralph Schumacher was eighth spot in Australia three weeks ago. Um, this weekend, Yarno truly made it in its seventh spot, so they've got a total of three points, which, sure, it's better than nothing. It's two consecutive points finishes, but come on, Toyota. With the kind of budget and the kind of resources they have, being a major worldwide auto manufacturer and all the, you know, all the money they can throw at, at Formula One, now with a partnership with the Williams team even to get gearboxes, it really seems like they should be doing better than that. And, you know, at – as Toyota still is pretty much giving a typical line of we're gonna we're working on it and next race we'll have something amazing, but it, we're really just not seeing any kind of results out of Toyota yet, and I that doesn't surprise me at all to be well, honest. And here we go, fifth in the constructors after two races. Who are they behind? Mercedes, Ferrari, BMW, Renault. All right, now let's look at an automotive manufacturing scale. This is the number two automotive company in the world. And soon to be number one. Soon to be number one. They are the leader in hybrid technology. They are a leader in production efficiency. They are known throughout the world as the biggest, baddest automotive company there is. And they have to get transmissions from Williams, a privateer team. They admit, to their credit, they admitted this, that their gearboxes weren't as good as Williams. This is a private team. This is a team that builds zero cars for street production. So... To me, it's interesting to see such huge powerhouse in terms of technology and resources not being able to keep up with the technology transmission-wise with a privateer team. All that aside, though, or all, considering all that, the an F1 gearbox has little to nothing to do with any kind of streetcar. I mean, Williams is a team you could say has been in you know has been in Formula One for so long. It used to be one of the most one of the dominant teams and has so much experience in the racing conditions. And it's so different from any streetcar. I mean, I, uh, you know, show me any parts that are shared on a Toyota Prius and in the F1 car, and I'll show you a surprised now individual. That would be sweet if there were. Yeah. That would be one sweet hybrid car. But I think, you know, Toyota working their, their relationship with Williams to get the gearbox, I think, is a pretty smart move rather than, you know, wasting more money effectively by building one in-house. I mean, I guess that's going back to their efficiency. So I don't, I don't disagree with that decision to go with the, the Williams gearbox because Williams has so much more race experience. But uh, I really feel like Toyota should have been able to build a solid gearbox by now. And they were usually reliable, but apparently not quick enough, um, or they couldn't push them as hard as they wanted to because uh, we didn't see a lot of gearbox failure in the last few years from Toyota, but uh, just not enough pace either. So, uh, you know, we've gotten a little bit more pace out of this car. I mean, three points, that's, yeah, certainly, I mean, that's better than Honda's been. But, uh, that you know, it's really not not up to the results we should be seeing out of Toyota by now. And again, I don't agree with the dis- I don't disagree with the decision to take the gearboxes. I just think it's sad that they had to make that decision. 
I mean, we'll see. When they first came into the sport, when they came in, they said, five years from now, we want to win the Constructors' Championship. All right, that was six years ago. Yeah, with those kind of predictions, though, it's always hard. I mean, I heard you know, an interview with Norbert Haug the other day who said, it's not very professional to make to sit, make uh, predictions. We're just, you know, because every every team guy, is, as they release a new car, are going to say, "Oh, it's going to be great, and we're going to, you know, we're going to be the fastest out there." And I mean, oh, there's only one team that can be the fastest, and and you know, it always goes back and forth with, between a couple of them. So it's the predictions of saying five years from now. I mean, in a sport like Formula One, there's there's really no way to know. I mean, last year at this time, if you would ask, me, if if we figured that Renault would be floundering like they are and having as many troubles as they are, I wouldn't have believed you, but here we are. I mean, it changes just that quickly. And even from a couple of years ago with the Michael Schumacher and Ferrari dynasty, and now he's gone and, and you know, we haven't really heard much about, you know, the, the lack of Schumacher in the sport. I don't think it's really affected it as much as people thought because we've got these newcomers coming in with uh, Lewis Hamilton and Heike Kovalainen and, and so on. So, you know, it's it, it changes so quickly that, you know, it doesn't surprise me that they're not meeting their goals. Maybe F1 is harder than they had figured, but... I would love to see some pace out of the Toyotas. I, 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 I like the company in terms of their, their efficiency and their plans and so on, and, and sort of the way they run things is a bit different, and uh, I'd like to see some success there. But, uh, you know, it doesn't seem like it's going to be happening in the next few races. But, again, look at, look at companies like BMW Sauber. You know, they're coming in, and as a complete team, BMW, who's kind of taken over the Sauber team and trying to run their own program, in only their second season are showing some real solid performance. And also Red Bull, they only have a few years in the sport, and they're also starting to show some legitimate speed with much less resources and much less technical background. I mean, to me, that that really says something. I just think Toyota is going about their Formula One program all wrong, frankly. But to go more towards Red Bull, that's another company where I think they might benefit from a different lineup, or at least a driver change. I'm, some hungrier drivers. I'm getting tired of David Coulthard myself. Most notably, him complaining about his brakes. Okay, apparently what happened about midway through the race, David Coulthard started losing his brakes, and they went down enough that his brake pedal was actually hitting the steering column. If you look in an F1 pedal cockpit, it's really quite tight in there, and if the brakes go down far enough, they can actually start hitting the steering column, which has to feel disconcerting. But after three or four laps of this, he wanted to retire the car. And to me, that's just sad. I think he's getting old. I think he's getting tired. And I think he needs to retire. If he wants to retire the car because he has slight brake trouble, he needs to retire himself. I think that's easy for you to say. Hey, sitting, you know, I was sitting on the, on the armchair here. But if you're, I mean, we've both driven cars with no brakes before on the street. And that's one thing, going 35 miles an hour and having to, having to sort that out. But lap after lap, I mean, with the two really long straights on the Malaysian Grand Prix circuit, and when you're coming up, you've got traffic to deal with in other cars. You're in an open-wheel car that, you know, any, any kind of contact is just going to be disastrous. And you've got a brake pedal where you can't physically push it any harder. It's not a matter of pumping the brakes. It's not a matter of just using a lot of pedal force. It's a matter of the pedal is all the way down against the steering column. I think he made the right call. I mean, he's really not going to do anything well. If he can't do very fast laps, other cars are just going to be passing him. As the leaders pass him, he might cause problems. It might be an incident that would be a penalty or something later on. It's, it's not worth it. I mean, what do they gain from... David Coulthard circulating the track, milking his brakes, and, and you know being unsafe at every time he slows down from a fast corner. I think to re- retire the car, get him off the track, get him out of everybody else's way, and go back and you know regroup and work on next time. I think that's the right way to go. I mean, if you if it were a bad pedal feel, I mean Rubens Barrichello when he couldn't figure out the brakes in the Honda after moving over Ferrari, that's I I'd say that's a whiny driver who just needs to figure it out. When Coulthard's got no brakes, when you literally can't push the brake pedal any farther because it's up against your steering column. 
that's got to be scary. And I think to retire the car, I mean, yeah, he's old. Yeah, he hasn't done very well at Red Bull recently. But, I mean, come on. I got to, you know, the guy's putting his life on the line. It's easy for us to go ahead and say, oh, yeah, stay in the race. I disagree. He's a sissy. You know what? Formula One cars have trouble all the time. These cars are at the absolute limit of technology and everything else. They have brake issues all the time in these cars. I think he could have nursed, nursed the car home. But perhaps what, what he would they have, have gained from that? Perhaps they wouldn't have gained something, but perhaps they would have. I mean, that's part of the sport. You, you don't know what's going to happen. You don't know who else is going to retire. 13 laps to go, Nico Rosberg blew up. That might have moved him up a spot. I think you want a driver that's willing to do whatever he can to get that car home because it's not even just that specific problem. It's the mentality in general. I mean, if he's so willing to give up so early, in my opinion, there's going to be circumstances where a driver that makes those types of decisions are going to hurt you as a team. And I think he's just past his prime. He was a good driver at McLaren, but he's getting older now, and I just think his mentality is in the wrong place. He's driver coach for Nico Rosberg, if anything. Perhaps. Yeah, I mean, I, I, stand, by, uh, I stand by DC. Not that I'm a huge DC fan, but uh, you know, I, I think you know, he probably made the right call, and, and he was there and we weren't. I mean, it, there, there, may be, there may have been more to it than, than we saw just on the TV coverage. Break, I'll, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt on that. Sissy. All right. Anyway, well, that's fine. <clears throat> you know, it, you, look at, you look at a guy like Alexander Wirtz, you know, who is now racing for Williams. He's had several years as a test driver for McLaren. He switched over to Williams. Now he's driving. You know, here's a guy, another guy I really like watching. You know, he's, he qualified 20th, but he moved up several spots to finish 9th. Very impressive drive. He's trying really hard. Keeps his wits about him. Speaking of David Coulthard, you know, Wirtz, Wirtz made a nice pass on him around the outside of Malaysia, despite the fact that Coulthard almost took off, almost decapitated Wirtz in the previous race in Australia. And he's even good-natured about it, too. I mean, Wirtz is joking about it and everything, talking to DC. I mean, he realizes it was, you know, probably mostly David Coulthard's fault, but that it's a racing incident and no amount of, you know, begrudging him is going to make it better. So he just sort of joking about it and laughing about it. And I think, you know, you got to admire his spirit and that sort of thing. I think David Coulthard was squinting because he couldn't find the old country buffet. He's trying to, where is it? It's time for the early bird special. And my feet hurt. My feet hurt. Where, where? I, don't, I don't see anything. And then he just runs right and just plows into Verts. Poor Verts. I don't know. I've had enough. You realize David Coulthard is only 35, right? I mean, yeah, he's old for Formula One, but come on. So? All right. What else? Is that it? That <laughs> well, anyway, uh, that was about it for that race. Uh, we'll see you again in a week. Yeah, and like I mentioned, uh, feel free to visit F1Show.com. We've got the show notes for every episode. You can leave comments on anything if you've got questions or comments about what we've said. And you can also send email directly to us at feedback at F1Show.com. Of course, our website address, www.F1Show.com. Until next week from Bahrain, this is Jim Lau. And I'm Robin Warner. See ya.